Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. So tonight, big butts of the Bible. I'm kind of excited to kick this series off. Um, it's been, you know, if you've been around our youth group for any period of time, anytime we read the Bible and we come up on a butt that is important, I always point out the big butt. Um, and tonight we're going to start on um, the first big butt of the Bible. And also, by the way, as we leave, um, you're going to get, this is something we've kind of worked together on, um, Mark and Matt and Dakota and I, we put together a devotional booklet. It's 20, the 21 biggest butts of the Bible. Um, so we're going to hand it out to you. Um, I'm going I'm to ask Emily to hand them out as we leave. So Emily's the big butt hander outer. <laughs> And so it begins. Um, but it's going to have a, a, every day there's a, a, another but, but it's a Bible verse with some, some questions and some observations, um, some, some areas that you can kind of fill in. So you're going to be getting one of those as you leave. Um, but t- tonight as we, as we start with the big butts, here's, here's the premise behind the series. Um, and, and bear with me, don't get too ticked off at me right away, but um, the, the premise of the series is that you have a big butt. Uh, we all have excuses, we all have buts, we all have excuses of why we, A, can't believe in God, or B, why we can't serve God, um, why God doesn't want to use us. We all have big buts. We say, well, but everybody's doing the wrong thing, so I have to join in, or but God wouldn't want to use someone like me. So we all have big buts, but the Bible has buts that are so big, they trump your big buts. So that's the premise behind the series, and tonight, the big butt that we're going to talk about, your big butt that we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about your big butt tonight, and um, the, um, the big butt we're going to talk about is the excuse that we hear a lot, and I've made quite often, is, but everybody's doing it. Um, everybody else is doing it, so therefore, you know, I'm going to have to fit in. So I um, um, put on my Instagram story, I think it was on Monday, I just wanted to get kind of your input. So um, I wrote, I said, tell me one way um, that's hard for teenagers to do, today to do the right thing and to please God. Like, what is it that you feel um, pressured by? You know, how, how do you feel pressured to do the wrong thing? And yeah, a, a lot of you responded um, um, and, and shared, but I, I, I selected a few of them that I just kind of wanted to show um, Every, I didn't put who responded what, but these are some of the things that you feel pressure by. You feel pressure by other people. You feel pressure by, like, the time constraint that you have. You only have so much time in the day, um, peer pressure. Um, this one was interesting. You're surrounded by a group of people doing the wrong thing, and you just want to fit in. You don't want to be weird. Uh, one of you said that um, the world around us is, is enticing. It's appealing. Um, another one you said it's not quite, like, exactly peer pressure, but a fear that people will think of you differently. And someone just put popularity, and it all kind of re- comes back to it's hard to be the only one that's doing the right thing. It's hard to say no when everybody else is saying yes, and it's hard to say yes when everybody else is saying no because it's, it's, it's awkward, and, and, and you know, our, the, the way that we are perceived by others is so important to us. Um, and I believe your generation has a lot more pressure on it to not act in a way that's um, pleasing to God than any other generation. You know me, I'm a stats guy, I'm a numbers weird, you know, anybody else like math and you're weird and warped and, you know, you, you need help, you know, <laughs> um, uh, like me. Uh, but here are some statistics. Do you know what your generation is called? I'm a millennial. Do you know what your generation is referred to as? 
Gen Z, baby. You guys are Gen Z. How many of y'all did not know you were Gen Z? You did not know who you were until tonight, so you already learned something. Um, here's, <laughs> here are some statistics about um, Gen Z. The first is that um, you're, you're Gen Z, uh, teens, eight, 13 to 18 years old, are twice as likely as adults to say that they're atheists. Um, so so the, you are surrounded by two times, you know, if you're a Christian teenager, you're surrounded by two times more people who don't believe in a God than your parents were when they were in high school. Um, only three in five of your Gen Z identifies as a Christian compared to two-thirds of adults. Only one-third of Gen Z, your generation, believes that lying is wrong. Um, um, consequently, conse- consequently, you grew up on a show called Pretty Little Liars. I don't know if that had anything to do with it. Um, but yeah, so, so two-thirds of you know, every per- you know, two out of every three people that you hang out around doesn't think that there's anything really wrong with lying. Um, Three in ten teens report personally knowing someone most often a peer who has changed his or her gender identity. So your, your generation is marked by some super, like, I think unique challenges um, that you're, you're, even though your parents are involved in your life, um, they don't know what it's like. I don't really even know what it's like to experience some of the surrounding culture that you're experiencing. Um, so it's easy it's even easier for you than it was for me to say, but everybody else is doing it. Everybody else is compromising. Um, everybody else is doing that after homecoming. Why shouldn't I join in? Um, we're going to learn tonight about Noah, and it's going to be more than the Sunday school Noah, Noah, build an arky, arky, or however that song goes. Um, but it's, we're going to learn about the challenges that Noah faced before he built the ark. And Noah has a but before his name. It describes, we're going to read, and you can start turning Genesis 6 if you want, but it, start, it describes all the challenges that Noah faced, all how everybody around him was doing the wrong thing, and then it says, but Noah. So the challenge for you tonight, it's a question I want you to think about. And this is the question. If somebody was writing about my generation, would they put a but by my name like they did Noah? So um, let's read. And then we're going to kind of like dive in. This is really interesting. This is the part they, they skipped over. They just went right to the flood when they taught you when you were a kid. Okay, so let's read what they thought was too awkward to talk to you about. Chapter 6, verse 1, it says, When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive. And they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days will be 120 years. And the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards. And when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, that means what you think it means, they bore children to them. These were mighty men who were of old, men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man who I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. I am sorry I made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. 
Genesis 1 and 2, God creates people and the earth. Genesis 3, people rebel against God. Genesis 4, well, at the end of Genesis 3, a brother kills his brother. Anybody ever kill your brother? I had two middle schoolers who claimed they killed their brother in the first lesson. Um, and, and so Cain was one of the brothers. He killed his other brother, Abel. Adam and Eve had another son named Seth. Chapter 4 of Genesis talks about the descendants, the offsprings of Cain, the murderer. Chapter 5 talks about the descendants of Seth, the good brother. In Genesis 6, the descendants of Seth and the descendants of Cain start intermarrying and having children together. And the world becomes very, very evil. Very evil. God says, I'm going to wipe off the face of the earth every human and every animal because they've achieved this level of wickedness. Wow, did God overreact? (laughs) We'll talk about that in a minute. But there's one guy who God said, I'm going to spare him. I'm going to save humanity through him. And it was Noah. That's what we see in verse 8. It says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Even though everybody else was doing the wrong thing, Noah found favor in God's eyes and was obedient. So God commands Noah to build an ark. If you've heard this, this, it's not, I hate to say story, it's an account, it's a historical account. God commanded Noah to build an ark, and Noah built an ark. It was a big boat, it had never rained before. God sent rain, opened up the floods, the the waters of the deep. Uh, Water covered the face of the earth. Every human being, every animal was destroyed except for Noah, his family, and the animals he took in the ark. God allowed the waters to recede. Noah landed on dry land, and you know what's kind of weird is we all kind of are related because Noah is like our great, 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 great to the thousandth power grandfather. So some of you went to homecoming with somebody you related. We all, you all went to homecoming with someone you're related to. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's kind of weird, but we won't talk about that. Um, so so that, that's the story. But Noah was surrounded by some super, super, super wickedness. And there are a couple things I think we can learn from Noah and the way that he was surrounded and his reaction and what God did. And here's the first thing we learn is that every generation faces a new battle in the age-old war. I put a picture of uh, yeah, Infinity War on here just because I started what, some of you, how many of y'all like the Marvel series? How many of y'all think it's super lame? You can be honest. A couple of you, okay. Appreciate your honesty. You can be wrong. No. Uh, no. Uh, I, I started watching the Marvel series a year ago, and we're really not all the way through it. Uh, April and I aren't. But we... Um, What's so interesting is this one big, long, protracted war, but it's fought over like a series of movies, and there's a hero and, a, yeah, and stuff going on, and each, each movie is a battle, but it's an age-old war. You know that we are, you are, your generation is in a battle right now. Noah, his generation was in a battle. Two different battles, same war. Same forces at work against Noah that are against you. Look at what was at work against Noah and tell me it's not still at work against you. First, Noah is surrounded by demonic spiritual darkness. Uh, this, if you're a nerd, you'd really love to nerd out on this. You can go, get, get on the, the Google on the interwebs and, 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 and look into this. Maybe not Google. Google's not always a great source. Um, but you see it twice, the word Nephilim. <laughs> um, it talks about how the sons of God had daughters or had children with the daughters of man. It's like, man, that's weird. That sounds like some kind of like Halloween movie or something, doesn't it? Well, there are two thoughts on that, and, and there are two kind of 
ways that people interpret that. The first is that uh, fallen angels, demons, walked the earth and had children with human women. So there were these half-demon, half-human ogres walking around the face of the earth that kind of looked like Shaq or something, you know. Um, that's one perspective, and they've got some good arguments, but I wouldn't really, really agree with, with them. But here's what we do know is that they were influenced by Satan. They were influenced by demonic activity, whether they <laughs> were the offspring of demons or not. The Bible says that we don't battle against flesh and blood, but we against, battle against spiritual wickedness in high places. So the same devil that was at work here is the devil that's at work in your school and in your life and in your surroundings trying to get you to do the wrong thing. As soon as in Genesis 3.15, God promised that he was going to send a redeemer to crush Satan's head, Satan was out to do everything he could to stop it. He still is. Um, Noah was surrounded by a lot of spiritual compromise. Um, another point of view of the first four verses of this passage about the daughters of men and the sons of, of God is that the sons of God represent the sons of Seth, who we learned about in chapter, you'll learn about in chapter 5, and it lists all those sons of Seth who were considered to be more godly. Even there's one son of Seth um, that was a descendant of him named Enoch, who it says that he walked with God and that because he walked with God and lived such a good life that God was just like, hey, Enoch, why don't you just come on home? Like, I'll send, a, I'll send an Uber to go pick you up and you won't have to die and you can just go back to, you can just go up to heaven. And that's what happened. Enoch did not die. Um, so we see kind of like a godly line the sons of God, and then the daughters of man. We see the line of Cain, the murderer, and you see some super twisted and evil things in chapter 4 that the sons of Cain did. Um, you can look up Lamech, who was an incredibly abusive, misogynistic, that's a big word, and a, a, a real abusive kind of like macho uh, abuser who had like a bunch of wives and was very cruel to them. So, so it seems as if the sons of Seth who were godly, it says, saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and instead of thinking with their head, they thought with another part of their body. Am I not supposed to talk like that? And they, instead of honoring God, they wanted to get what they wanted, so they started having children with the wrong kind of people. Just like, you know, you go out with the wrong kind of people and then you wonder why your life gets screwed up, you know, like, you know, your friends all warned you about that guy named Snake who has like 20 piercings and they're all connected with like chains and, you know, like, you know, <laughs> uh, you, 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 you know, your friend's mama and daddy, they warned you about him and, and you can't believe why he would break your heart. His name's Snake, you know, but um, they, uh, so there, there was compromise. There was, I know this girl is not right for me to marry but she's like a 10, so I've got to marry her. And, we, and we, we, see that, we see that going on. Just like there's spiritual compromise going on among Christians in our world, they say, well, God really didn't mean that in the Bible. You know, yeah, when we read in Timothy, that's just Paul's opinion. It's not really the words of God, is it? And we, we see compromise going on. Noah was surrounded by it too. And finally, Noah was surrounded by a violent anti-God culture. You notice what it says about these men in verse 2? It says they took as their wives any they chose. That's like a one-sided relationship, isn't it? We have words for that, don't we? 
Yeah, it was, this was a violent culture. You can look back in chapter 4, the, the, the sons of Cain. It was defined by violence. Verse 11, it says the earth was corrupt in God's sight and filled with violence. Are we not in a violent culture today? You know, we have more anti-gun laws in our country than we've ever had, and we have more school shootings than we've ever had. When I went to school, we did fire drills. At your school, you do fire drills and you do lockdown drills. We're surrounded by a violent culture. We're surrounded by spiritual darkness. You know, we have more resources now than ever for suicide prevention. We have hotlines and we have books and we have counselors. But you know that they just released some statistics a couple days ago that even teens even younger than you, teens ages 10 to 14, the suicide rate over the past 10 years has tripled among teens, kids ages 10 to 14. And it's almost tripled among people your age. We have all the resources in the world, but we're surrounded by darkness. That's Gen Z. That's your generation. Surrounded by it. But if someone was writing about your generation, would they put a but by your name? Would you stand out? The next thing that we learn about Noah and this story and this generation um, is that God sees through the hearts and thoughts of people. Yeah, a, a common thing that we think when we think, oh man, <laughs> God wants to destroy everybody? Like, isn't that kind of like harsh? <laughs> um, you know, like it, it kind of feeds into some people's perception of God that God is this old guy with a bunch of lightning bolts in his pocket waiting for somebody to screw up. So you're like, ha, bam, gotcha, gotcha, killed you. You know, he's like a hunter in a deer stand just waiting to whack the first deer that walks by. That's not our God. First look, in verse 2 it says, excuse me, in verse 5 it says, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth. Every intention and the thoughts of his heart. When we think of wickedness, we can only kind of go by what we see, right? Um, and, and sometimes we rush to judgments we shouldn't, like, man, she shouldn't have wore that dress, or he, he, should, he shouldn't have said that, or they shouldn't have done that, or, you know, you know I can't believe she's going out with him. And you know, Sometimes we judge the motives of people's hearts um, because of their actions, and a lot of times you know, we judge poorly, don't we? Um, sometimes we don't understand the hurt that's going on in somebody's heart that would make them act the way they are. And they're really calling out and they're, they're, they're screaming out to God. Guys, you need to go down to the park, okay? Um, you, when people are acting in a way that we consider to be unchristian, they are um, you know, they're, they're calling out to God and, and, and crying for help. But God can see people's hearts. And here's what he saw when he saw the, these people's hearts. It says that their hearts were wicked and every intention of his heart was only evil continually. There was no inclination towards God. And there was no saving them. They were going to do what they wanted to do. But even still, what does God do? It says in verse 3, it says, my, the Lord said, my spirit will not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days will be 120 years. God gives mankind, he gives humanity 120 years to turn around, 120 years to turn back to him. God doesn't just say, ha, they finally screwed it up. I've been waiting. I've been waiting for this one. I've got like a really like super extra charged lightning bolt ready to knock these people out. I can't wait to bust these guys. 
That's not God. Second Peter 3 says that God is patient, not wanting that any should perish, but all come to repentance. And we see his heart here, don't we? Was God's reaction anger? No. Look at verse 6. It says the Lord regretted that he had made man. That's, a, that's sorrow on earth. And it grieved him to his heart. Sometimes we think that when we screw up, that we tick God off. And God is a righteous God, and um, He does pursue justice. But when we sin, when others sin, you know God's first reaction? It grieves His heart. We see that the emotion, I always circle emotions in pink because I just consider pink to be an emotional color. So I circled that the Lord regretted that He made man and that it, a circle grieved Him, and then I underlined to His heart. Then at the, towards the end of verse 7, I, I, I underlined, sorry, I'm sorry that I made them. Is God angry? Is God waiting to kill people? Is He a vengeful God? God is a loving, patient God who grieves sin. And although He must judge it, He gives people every opportunity to come back to Him. Jesus, looking back on this in Matthew 24, was talking about these people who were given this, this opportunity to come back to God. And what we learn is that they never changed. They continued to do the same thing they always did. He says they were, they were marrying and giving in marriage and acting like they had all the time in the world, thinking God's not going to do anything if there is a God. But what do we know? God did judge the earth. But Noah found favor in the eyes of God. There's something we do when we read the Old Testament that we kind of have to be careful about. Yeah, we read the story of Noah and think, oh, it was because Noah was this great guy and that he did all these great things that God loved him. And then we, we, we read about Moses and we're like, oh, it's because Moses was this great leader that, uh, yeah, that God used him. It was because Dave was this incredible musician. He was a great warrior that he used him. If, if that's what you get out of when you read the Old Testament, you've totally missed the point. The whole point of this is these people, these quote-unquote heroes really weren't heroes. There's only one hero, and it was God. And because they had faith in him, he used them. And that's what we see about Noah. In verse 9, it says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Hebrews 11 talks about Noah. And it says this about Noah in Hebrews eleven seven. It says, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, he couldn't see it, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness. That's a right standing before God, purity before God, a righteousness that comes by building a really good ark. A righteousness for God that comes by saying up yours to everybody who's trying to get you to do the wrong thing. A righteousness, no. It's a righteousness that comes by faith. This is the game changer for Noah. This is what made all the difference in Noah's life. He believed in the coming Messiah. He believed in Jesus. He believed in that promise that God gave Eve in Genesis 3.15 that he would send someone to crush Satan's head. He believed. What's so cool, I didn't have time to talk about this with middle school, but I can talk about it with you, is... Even in the Hebrew, <laughs> this because you know, Genesis was written in Hebrew, even in Hebrew, this but really was a big but in Hebrew. And uh, I'll try to explain it to you, but it's, it's a feature that, Old Test- that, that, that Hebrew writers use sometimes, and the feature is called fronting. And here, here's the thought. Um, 
conjunctions of, I'm getting really grammatical here, I'm sorry, but conjunction, you ever hear this song, conjunction, junction, what's your function? Okay, um, conjunctions in Hebrew are not words, they are prefixes to words. You know what a prefix is, right? Preschool. Pre is a prefix to preschool. Um, so if you were going to say, if you're going to use a conjunction that would get across the idea, but you would attach it to a word and you'd attach it to the first word in the sentence. Now in Hebrew, it's, it's so screwed up and it's so complicated the way that Hebrew is because first off it reads right to left, which is hard to get a hold of. Um, secondly, Hebrew generally it puts emphasis and oh, the sentence always starts with the verb. It's kind of a lot like the way that Yoda talks. You know how Yoda talks and he always leads off with the verb and the sentence, the, the subject is you know, a, couple, you know, a couple words down the sentence. So normally this verse 8, if it was written in Hebrew, um, it would kind of he- read in the Hebrew like this, found favor in the eyes of the Lord, Noah did. Really sounds like Yoda, doesn't it? Especially if you were to read it in a Yoda voice. But in this passage in the Hebrew, instead of leading with the verb and attaching the but, the conjunction to the verb, it leads with the subject and attaches the but to the subject. So it's a way, and it happens like this sometimes in the Bible, to draw attention to something and to say, look at this. So when I say, yeah, this is a big but of the, this truly is at the most like basic, even Hebrew level, a ginormous badonkadonk but in the Bible. But Noah, God wanted you to notice Noah. He wanted you to see someone who was standing up and doing the right thing. So here's the next question. If someone was writing about my generation, would they put a big badonkadonk but by my name? It says that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Favor is, is another word for grace. If I owe you a favor, if, if, if I do a favor for you, is it because I had to? No, I'm doing it out of the graciousness of my heart. God, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It was grace. How did Noah find that grace? Is because he had faith in Jesus. Noah wasn't perfect. Another thing you didn't hear in Sunday school is that after Noah landed in the flood, after the flood, you know the, one of the first things he did after he did the whole, you know, you know altar and saw the rainbow? You know what happened to Noah? He planted a, um, he, he planted a grapevine, pressed the grapes into wine, and got drunk and naked. So Noah isn't exactly a hero of the faith in that story, is he? It's because Noah was not a perfect person. He had faith, and that faith led him to radically obey God. You think it was lonely for Noah to be the only one doing the right thing? Do you ever feel lonely when you're the only one living for God? Noah didn't just stand alone for God. He did things that were very awkward and probably if we were to do it, we'd find them very embarrassing. Noah had to build a boat and everybody's like, what what in the world is a boat? Like, well, the rain's coming. What in the world is rain? Imagine all the things that people said to him, all the jokes that were made about Noah. But Noah had a faith. Now, Matt's going to play this video um, and I think it really illustrates what, it, what Noah did because he didn't just trust Jesus and God to save him. He trusted God to take care of him even though he was stepping out to do something that nobody else would do. So will you play that, that clip? It's really quiet, isn't it? 
Have you seen this movie before? Anybody seen this movie? It's like the best. It's a leap of faith. Robert, you must believe, boy. You must believe. So Indy, Indiana Jones, had to step even though he wasn't sure where his foot would land, right? That's the whole premise. They, they call that in the movie the leap of faith or the step of faith. You know, Noah had to take some steps of faith. Noah's faith wasn't just a, I don't want to say just, but yeah, some of us think that faith just means I believe in Jesus and he's going to get me into heaven. What if we believe that the same Jesus that can get you into heaven can help you do the right thing even when nobody else is doing it? Think about Noah. I wrote, I wrote down some thoughts about Noah and his steps of faith. He started building a boat when rain didn't exist. He started building cages in the ark when he had no animals. He stocked up on food for 40 days and 40 nights but didn't have a refrigerator. He walked into a boat with no clouds in sight. He floated on stormy seas with no rudder, sails, or engine. What we see is every time Noah took a step of faith. Every time Noah believed God, he took a step of faith, God gave his foot a place to stand. And that's why it says Noah was looking at things yet not unseen. And sometimes with us, we are afraid, what, what's going to happen? Like if I say no, and I, do, you know, and I don't join in with what everybody else is doing, is God going to take care of me? If I sell it all out, if I decide instead of pursuing a career, I want to move halfway across the world and tell people who've never heard about Jesus, about Jesus. Is God going to take care of me? Look at Noah. So how do we make this real? It's not only the big butts of the Bible. I've got F words tonight I want you to write down real quick. <laughs> I, I, uh, yeah, I just made Jesse's night. Um, the first F word is fake. Is there an area of my life that I've been hiding from others but God sees? You know, God saw past all the all the show of these people who were wicked, he saw their hearts. So first thing we need to think of is not am I impressing my mom or my dad or my youth pastor or my friends is am I pleasing God or am I fake? The next is fame. Where am I being pressured to compromise my faith? What area is that? Is it the area of your sexuality? Is it the area of your like, like, like honesty and your standards? Is it the things that you look at on your phone? Is it the way that you talk, the words that you use, and the way that you treat others with your mouth? Fame. Am, am I, am I kind of like falling under peer pressure? Am I, am I being pressured to compromise my faith? The next one, this is a tough one. This is where faith really hits it. Fear. Am I willing to stand alone if necessary to please God? 
What's more important, pleasing others or pleasing God? The final one is faith. What is my standing before God? Noah was righteous before God because of his faith. It wasn't because of anything he did. You can't be made right with God by anything you do. It's by your belief. And a lot of people have really tried a lot of things to work their way to heaven, but you can't work your way to heaven. That's why heaven came down. That's why Jesus died for us. So what is your standing before God? If, you know, just be real. If you, if, if you died tonight, do you know you'd spend an eternity in heaven like Noah did? So finally, I'm going to ask you one more time. If someone was writing about your generation, would they put a butt by your name? Are you going to stand out because you believe in God? You know, I'm kind of not nervous, but yeah, I think about being a pastor because I'm a pastor and um, yeah, I'm one of the younger ones on our staff and you know, when, when some of the older ones on staff retire and um, I'm going to have to face some challenges alone and I'm probably going to face challenges that they never had to face. And sometimes I wonder if any of you guys are going to stand with me when we have to make tough decisions. But I'll tell you one thing. I refuse to give in just because everybody else is doing it. And I can promise you one thing. You're not going to stand alone because I'll stand with you. Um, so let's pray. I've got to give away a couple prizes and we'll get out of here. Um, Father, we, we need faith that only comes from you. We need faith that only you can supply because um, my generation and then especially this generation, Generation Z faces unique challenges that may have never been faced before in this battle, in this age-old war. But God, thank you that we, we don't fight alone. Um, that the God of angel armies fights for us. So God, I pray um, that, that you'll give us the strength to stand for you. I pray that we'll remember that we don't stand alone because we have each other and we have you. Um, God, I pray that we'll, we'll boil it down to the basics. Do we have faith in you? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.